In the fifth chapter of James, I just want to kind of piggyback where you were last week. Hunter did a great job uh, in this section, and uh, after taking some time off, I told him that I wanted to circle back and mention a little bit more using another illustration. James uses the illustration of Job when it comes to steadfast faith, and, and I wanted to circle back and pick up the 39th chapter of Genesis and the 37th chapter a little bit and talk about Joseph, who also was a great man of steady faith. And I want to talk about that a little bit. But before we do, let's go to James chapter 5. This is going to be the text that's on the screens for you. Uh, the 39th chapter of Genesis, which I'll refer to in a minute, will not be on the screen, so you want to find that in your Bible. Here's what it says. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Now, this is a big theme for James to anticipate the coming of the Lord, be patient, uh, be steadfast, be faithful all the way through. And if there's, a, if there's a dogma that you and I ought to have, it's this, that in the world crises that we are experiencing right now, and I believe it's going to be elevated even more, you and I should be patient till the coming of the Lord. Keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of the faith. Our hope is not in the next election. Our hope is not in a judicial placement. Our, our hope is in Jesus returning, and one day he is going to return. So just be patient. The Lord said it was going to be this way. In fact, the Lord said it's going to get worse before he comes. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. You also be patient. You think he wants us to get that? establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand in other words it could be any time the Lord could return at any point so be patient establish your hearts be solid in your hearts and in your faith as an example of suffering and patience brothers take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord and of course they had to have enduring patience long suffering as they were doing so behold we consider those blessed who remain steadfast if you're one to underline in your Bible, that's a verse to underline. That we consider people blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So you talked a lot about that last week, and I'm grateful for the insights that the Spirit of God gave. What I want us to see today is that this steadfastness, this steady faith, is a reoccurring theme through all of James. It's a test. It's an evidence of the authentic person of faith that's just steady. In fact, if you go all the way back to chapter 1, verse 12, it says this, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So this is a a theme that just gets presented over and over again by James to be steady when you're facing trials when you're under duress when you're suffering when you're sick when your job is faltering when your income seems slack when things are tense when pressure is mounting be steadily faithful to the Lord James wants us to to dive into that truth and to just stand in that truth as well now let's Look at an example. In Genesis chapter 39, I want to read the first six verses of that passage and just kind of refer a little bit in the middle, and then I'll pick up a few more verses later. Now, Joseph had been brought down to Egypt by Potiphar, 
and, and Potiphar, the officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard of Egypt, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. Let's just time out for a minute. Catch you up. I'll just recap for a moment. Uh, Israel had a, multiple sons, and among the sons, one that was given to him later in his life was Joseph, and he was his favorite. I'm not saying that's good. It's just the fact. And he showed a lot of bias towards him and a lot of love and affection towards him. Doesn't mean that he didn't love the other sons. He was just special. Joseph's heart was just special. And uh, God had a purpose for Joseph that was unique among all of his brothers. And God gave him that vision in dreams. Remember this? And the dreams were about power and authority and possession and Joseph told those dreams to his brothers, and the brothers were already antagonistic towards Joseph. But when they heard the dreams, the antagonism went to an all-new level, and it really boiled into hatred for their brother. I think some of that was sort of provoked at one point in Joseph's time with his brothers. He went back to his father and sort of ratted them out about who they were and what they were doing. Later, sometime, Israel, Jacob, sent Joseph to go check on the brothers again. And when the brothers saw him coming, if you'll remember the narrative, it says, oh, there's the dreamer. Let's give him something to dream about. In essence, that's what they're saying. And they decide to put him in a pit and kill him there. But Reuben, one of the brothers, said, oh, no, no, let's, let's don't kill him. You can put him in the pit, but Reuben had in his mind that he would go back and grab the boy up and send him back home to dad. Uh, but the others would have nothing to do with that. They ended up putting him in a pit and then selling him as a slave to the Ishmaelites. This is a band of tradesmen who would come in and they were, their merchandise, if you will, was human trafficking. And Joseph ends up in Egypt. And that's what chapter 39 is beginning. This Pharaoh official named Potiphar purchases him as a personal slave. In verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. Now, there's some words there that just don't seem to go together. Number one, that he is a slave, but yet the Bible says that he's a successful man in the house of his master. You and I wouldn't think success as being a slave. So obviously, something is different. God is viewing things differently than we view things. And his thoughts are not our thoughts, and his ways are not our ways. So obviously there is something going on here that you and I need to learn about. Verse 3, his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. And from the, that, the time that he made him overseer in the house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Now, if you know the narrative as it continues on, Potiphar's wife is looking lustfully at Joseph, and she demands that they lie together. And Joseph repeatedly refused, maintaining his faith and moral integrity of the law of God that had been placed in his life. 
But one day, Potiphar's wife was so frustrated with Joseph's refusal of her, she lied against him, saying that he attempted to assault her. And then believing his wife, Potiphar throws Joseph in the Pharaoh's jail where he would remain. Now pick up in verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Now again, words that just don't seem to go. Now here's a slave who is imprisoned and remains in prison, and yet God shows him steadfast love and gives him favor. Again, God's ways and God's thoughts, God's intents and God's purposes, very different from the way you and I would see things. So we need to learn what God is doing here and what God may be doing even in our own lives when you and I face very difficult circumstances at times. And the keeper of the prison, the warden, put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. And the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Now, amid, amid the troublesome times, Joseph is experiencing the favor and the blessing of God. Let's just let that one settle for a moment. Even in the midst of crises, in the midst of troubles, in the midst of sickness and disease, in the midst of death and brokenness, God's favor and God's blessings can rest. And for us, it does. But we need to identify those words and what they biblically mean because in many ways in Western Christianity, those words have been hijacked by false teachers. I think what God's favor is, is living in relationship with him by his grace and being connected to the redemptive ministry of Christ. So we're in relationship with him. God favors us with relationship and he gives us by grace significance to his redemptive ministry. He gives us an eternal purpose. That's the favor of God. And the blessings of God are the result of living in God's favor. In other words, the result of living in relationship with God, in the mission of God, and walking obediently with Him. So Joseph is experiencing the favor of God in relationship with God and in the redemptive ministry of God. He is going to be like a type of Christ in the Old Testament. And what I mean by that is Joseph is helping people who discover this narrative to understand what Christ will be like when he comes for his earthly ministry. That God will bring redemption to the world in a very eternal way, similar to the way Joseph has brought a, a, a reconciliation to the world in a very physical way. God is going to make Joseph to be an agent of his salvation for people who are about to go through an immense difficult time in famine. In fact, the world would starve if it was not for the saving grace of God that is demonstrated very practically through Joseph. And the world would be perpetually, eternally, without the presence of God and the mercy and the grace of God if it were not for Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh, who has come to usher us into his kingdom, who by faith will trust in him and his mercy, grace, and love that has been given to us so freely. So we're seeing that God is doing something unique here. 
And I think what we just really need to settle into is this notion that troubled times do not negate nor discount the favor or the blessing of God. If you're going through difficulties, and we all do, we live in a broken world. If you're going through difficulties knowing that truth, that God's favor and God's blessing is not removed, it's not diminished in any way. In fact, we can rest confidently in it. And because we know his favor and his, and his blessing, then we can be steadfast in our faith while we anticipate his coming again. That he will reset all things and he will and is making all things new. So Joseph was in relationship with the Lord and this was certainly part of God's redemptive work in his life and even though he was experiencing great difficulties in relationship and in circumstances and significant injustice, he was still experiencing the favor and the blessing of God. Now, that doesn't sound much like today's definition of favor and blessing, but Joseph is experiencing God's goodness in the midst of the crises. This is evident as evil has come against him that God would use all of that that has come against him for good, bringing salvation not only to Joseph, but to his family and the rest of the world. Since his youth, Joseph had dreams that God had placed within him. His life literally was filled with the dreams that God had given to him. They were dreams of power and authoritative position and significant resources. Now his brother attempted to destroy those dreams, but they weren't Joseph's to destroy. They were God's, and the brothers could have nothing over the dreams of the vision, the purposes of God. It might seem as the reader is reading through the narrative and it is unfolding that the dreams diminish. He's taken out of the promised land and put into a foreign land. He's made from an honor position with his father to be a slave in someone's house, and then later he's imprisoned but those dreams are not dashed. He did not recognize it, but those were part of God fulfilling all those dreams that he had for him. Sure, Joseph's difficult experiences were significant, but they did not alter, nor did they deter what God was going to bring about in his life in a very glorious way. And it would be that he would bring salvation to the people, and more specifically to his family from whom the Messiah would come. Now, some of you might be in hardships these days. It might be that your dreams seem to have slipped away. You can't imagine that God is going to do something significant in this season or in future seasons of your life. Let me remind you, as James has reminded us, be patient, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Faith family, be patient until God returns. Just be persistent. God's person, uh, purposes for your life and my life have not waned in any way. You might say, well, there's too much against me now, or I'm too old, or I'm too sick, or I don't have enough resources, or I've been knocked back too many times. But let Joseph's story remind you that God's favor in your life has not changed. He continues to be and is in relationship with those who have faith in his son, Christ Jesus. And he calls us all to be joining him in this redemptive worldwide mission. Those people who were coming against Joseph, even though they were coming against him in evil, were being used by God for good. Joseph entered Egypt at about the age of 18, and he left as a man of honor as he died at about age 110. 
What a fantastic story it is. A Hebrew slave becomes second in command of the most powerful country in all the world at its time. What a stunning story it is that Joseph has remained steadfast in faith to God, whether it's in trials or troubles or tremendous success. James would have us to live like Job, like Joseph, like the prophets, and be steady and steadfast in our faith. As Joseph stood on the slavery block one day to be auctioned off, he rose to the greatness of life, not by his own aspiration, but because he knew who God was and what God had given to him as a dream. Joseph was uniquely trusted and promoted by people like uh, Potiphar or the jailer or Pharaoh. And he reminds us that you can live in constant faith with chains of trouble or with gold chains of triumph. We, we can be true to our God in the midst of those things. And when we do well, we ought to ask the Lord, am I faithful like that of Joseph? And when we are struggling, we ought to ask the Lord, make me faithful like Joseph. Now, here's three factors that I think go along with this notion of how we walk in steadfastness like that of Joseph. They're just simple. I've given you room in your handout so you can jot them down if you want. First of all, the Lord was with Joseph. If you want to walk in a steadfastness in faith, this is where it begins, that God is with you. This is the core to Joseph's success. The Lord was with him. God was in relationship with him. Now, oftentimes we will ask people, are you in relationship with God? And that's an important question to ask. But in this case, what Joseph's narrative helps us to discover right off the bat is the most important question, is God in relationship with you? Has God chosen you? Has God brought you into relationship with him? There's only one way to do that. It's by God's design and through a very narrow gate that the Bible says few people find, and Jesus is that gate. Jesus is that door. Are you in relationship with God, and is God in relationship with you? The Lord was with Joseph. So whether Joseph was a free man or a slave, the presence of God remained with him. And that solidified everything in his life. The fact of God's presence is just mentioned over and over. In fact, if we go back to chapter 39, you'll see this is a redundancy that's intentional. The Lord was with Joseph in the home of the Egyptian, his Egyptian master. And then one verse later, Potiphar realized that the Lord was with Joseph. On down in the chapter in verse 21, the Lord was with Joseph in the prison. And then a couple of verses later, the Lord was with him. This is the place of solidity. When chaos is around you, is it solid that God is with you? That the presence of God is with you? Because when it's solid and you've got that faith, then no matter what is happening around you, what is happening in you, what is coming against you, what is bringing you, your knowledge of God's presence in your life will change your attitude about all of that. And you can stand solid in the fact that God is with you. So no matter how low or how high the position that Joseph had, God was with him. And no matter how distant he was from the promised land and his father, God was with him. 
And though all human support might be removed from him, God's presence would never leave him. Through all the experiences of highs and lows, living with power, authority, success, wealth, brokenness, rejection, false accusation, imprisonment, it didn't matter. God remained with him. And that caused him to be steadfast in his faith, steadfast in who he was as a person. Because God was with Joseph, the Bible says that he was highly successful now in fact the narrator repeats over and over it's the lord's presence that made joseph successful the scripture wants us to know that joseph's success was not by his own innate skill and ability it wasn't that he was a born leader with wisdom no it was god's presence god's presence makes it so that we can be successful and abundant and abounding the presence of life of God's life in us is essential for steady and well living is his presence with you and do you practice his presence it's two different things is his presence with you and do you practice his presence how do you practice the presence of God well one of the ways the psalmist said is just be still and know that I am God. Practicing the presence of God is quietening all the noise around you and just being in God's presence, being pleased to be in God's presence, pleased to be in his word, hearing his message to you, pleased to be in prayer, singing to him. Kay and I spent the morning yesterday with my parents and our grandson. We determined we were going to go to Jack's on the river meet up there uh, we had some place we wanted to go afterwards with them and we sat in the very back corner and um, we were just enjoying conversation and enjoying each other's company and in walks a man in the area where we were in the very back and he has on overalls and I don't know about you but anytime a man wears overalls he's got my attention because he's one of two things. He's a, he's a guy who likes to work outside, or he's a guy who doesn't like to wear a belt. And I'm attentive to both of those kind of people. So I kind of had an idea. This guy was a worker. Uh, somebody liked to work outside, and I love to work outside, and Saturdays is the day to work outside, Lord willing. So anyway, I, I was attentive to him, and I noticed that he was singing as he was coming towards his table. I thought, that's interesting here's a singing overall wearing man and he really has my attention and his song was just quiet sort of to himself and he took his tray and he sat down at the table and the song continued and that song flowed right into a prayer and then that prayer flowed right back into that song and I realized in that moment that man was practicing the presence of God. Is God's presence with you? And are you practicing that presence? Because if you want to be steadfast in your faith, if you want to be able to stand in the midst of trouble and crises, then you're going to have to practice the presence of God. Because the world is going to scream for your attention. And people are going to pull you down. And circumstances are going to try to trip you up. But practicing the presence of God will keep your heart and your thoughts where it needs to be. 
God's presence was with him. Jesus challenges us to do the same. He, he says he mandates it. It's essential that we do this. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. Man, what a verse to circle right there. Abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. In other words, you can't be a branch alone and produce fruit. That branch has to be connected to the vine. So it is neither can you unless you abide in me. In other words, you are not going to be successful and fruitful in your walk, in your journey in life, unless you are connected to Christ. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. God's presence so essential that we have God's presence and Joseph helps us to identify that and then secondly Joseph lived life with the Lord and he trusted him fully so he's living with the Lord in his presence and he's trusting him now because Joseph was confident of God's presence within him he fully trusted him that if God determined that he was going to be a slave or if God determined that it was his uh, plight to be imprisoned in Egypt then he could still be trusted in those circumstances if God's presence living with him is going to bring him into those places he can be trusted while he's in those places it's as if Joseph knew the words of the apostle Paul who would later write we know that for those who love God all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes Joseph recognized a love for God and had a love for God and knew that God loved him and that he was called according to the purposes of God. So as you know from the story, Joseph was in charge of his master's household and property. Before long, all of Potiphar's affairs were in good shape, in good order. His crops, his livestock, it was all flourishing. And his master, Potiphar, took notice. But he wasn't the only one to take notice, was he? Potiphar's wife was watching Joseph in amazement as well. And the wife was watching Joseph with lustful eyes. And she began to make passes at him. And she began to make advances towards him and even demands. And each time, Joseph stood the test of those trials and temptations. One day, when she discovered that they were in the home alone together, she demanded, come lie with me. But Joseph refused. And he held that holy ground that God had called him to. He wanted to honor God, and he certainly wanted to honor his master. Denied of her sinful appetite, Potiphar's wife then, with emotions turned to angry scorn, began to feel dejected and spiteful and turned in a lashing series of lies against Joseph. And Joseph was said to have attempted to rape her. And of course, you know that that was far from the truth. Which reminds me of the fact that Joseph lived well. He did things well. He did things right. He experienced things with God. But he also experienced injustice. And he experienced attacks. And you and I can understand from this that there are times that we might be doing things right but there is a significant consequence when we do things right in a very fallen world. You, you can't bank the response of a fallen world 
to your righteous and moral action, you can't bank that as either being God's favor or God's blessing. God's favor and God's blessing is in you and your relationship and his redemptive work and your call to mission with him. The circumstances of living in a sin-filled world can often make it that you and I suffer and endure many things. Nonetheless, Joseph helps us to see, stay the course. Stay the course in holiness. Be steady in your faith. Live your life unto the Lord. When Potiphar heard his wife recount her lies, he threw Joseph into prison where the king's prisoners were held. Though unjustly confined, Joseph remained there. And it was there, again, that Joseph would learn to trust God in the dark experiences of life. In essence, he was saying, if God wants me to be a slave or if God wants me to be a prisoner, then I'm going to remain faithful to him in those positions. Joseph determined that he would do his work unto God, whether it was through Potiphar or the warden or later Pharaoh. He saw himself not as one bound to Potiphar, but one bound to God as a slave unto righteousness. He considers himself as one called of God. So in the ways and the works of God, he would do whatever it took to please his God. That's a place that you and I ought to be as well. It's pretty easy to give service to the Lord when things are going well, isn't it? But it's challenging when the work environment is difficult and when it's uncharacteristic of the things of God. Perhaps the circumstances you find yourself in is less than desired. Maybe it's your job, maybe it's your health, maybe it's your finances, maybe it's a relationship or some other aspect of your life that others would say that holds you down and that binds you. Maybe you feel bound by those circumstances. As you understand that your life is in Christ and Christ is in you and you learn to trust him fully, you'll grow more steadily in living in that place in a glorious way unto God. Such steadfastness honors the Lord, and he rewards it faithfully for all eternity. So if your boss is pressing hard against you, and your co-workers are malicious towards you, and you're overworked and underpaid and maybe even underappreciated, then continue to press in the Lord's presence and trust him that he will reward you for your steadfast faithfulness. Whatever you do, work heartily for the Lord, not to men the same time in your relationships treat the other person as you treat the lord and he will reward you is your spouse uncaring or unloving is she neglectful is he spiteful then even in the midst of that god's presence is with you seek him in those ways to honor him and bring glory to him and he will reward you you say, well, I don't see the reward today, or reward might be today. It will definitely be in the future. Trust God in that. Steadfast faith is rooted in God's relationship and God's presence with you. Now, look at this last point. Joseph lived his life as a witness to the Lord. We learned in Genesis 39, verse 2 and 3, that Potiphar noticed that the Lord was with Joseph. His master saw that the Lord was with him, that the Lord caused him to succeed. So Potiphar realized the excellence of Joseph, no doubt. But more importantly, he recognized the Lord God was bringing that to Joseph. He recognized his relationship with God. 
which is intriguing to me because Potiphar seemed to be the one who noticed that this Hebrew slave had different belief and trust in a God that he did not know about. Now, as you know, the Egyptians are polytheistic. They have many, many gods. In fact, Pharaoh himself would later claim to be a god, or the Nile was the god, or the sun god Ray, or the frogs, or the gnats, or whatever else they would name as their gods. But this Hebrew slave had something different. This Hebrew slave had a relationship with what appeared to be the one true God. Now, whether Joseph and Potiphar had conversation about that, I don't know. I would imagine so. If Potiphar's going to recognize the blessings of God, he's going to want to know about the God of the blessings, no doubt. Perhaps they talked about it. Perhaps even Joseph explained the God dreams that had been given to him. Whatever and whenever Joseph talked to Potiphar about his God, it made a mark on Potiphar. And as Egyptian who served many gods, he recognized there was some unique blessing among the God of Joseph, and it was evident that his God was with him. Joseph really lived his life beyond himself, living his life as a testament and as a witness unto God to cause others to recognize and give glory to God. This is the one great motivator for having steadfast faith in all circumstances, that we recognize we are bearing witness of God. When you are steadfast amongst all the difficulties, then others around you know that you have a God relationship that is uncanny. You have one that is unique, and that brings testament to Jesus Christ. So God has purpose in every detail of our life. You can trust him with your eternal life, and because you can trust him with your eternal life, you can trust him with your everyday life, the daily situations you find yourself in. And you might be asking, Randy, what about my circumstances? I can tell you, though I may not know your circumstances, he's right there with you. He promises never to leave you and never forsake you. He's there with you reconciling all things to himself, and it will be certainly known at the coming of our Lord. Could I encourage you in the midst of those circumstances to be patient until the coming of the Lord? In the midst of your circumstances, be patient. Be steadfast. Now let me take those three aspects and bring them into three imperatives for our life very fast. Let's just turn them into application points. Number one, if you're going to learn from Joseph how to have a steadfast life, experience God's mercy and grace receiving his salvation. God is offering salvation to people. This is the age of grace in which he is bearing grace to us, offering us to be in relationship with him. And it is his mercy and grace. You're not going to receive it by your earning. This is God's gift, and this is God's merciful love that is being given to us. So receive his salvation. If you're going to be steadfast in life, first, experience God's salvation. Secondly, abide in Christ and trust him fully for fruitful living. Go back to the 14th chapter of John where he says, you're not going to be able to bear fruit unless you're connected to the vine. And Jesus Christ is the vine. Be connected to him, abide in him, abide in his presence, have your sight set on him, listen to his word, engage his word, trust him fully in the midst of that. And even though you might be going through hardship, 
You might be going through very difficult days, very difficult seasons, very difficult years. It can be fruitful. It can be fruitful. Here's what God does. God makes deserts fruitful. That's a prophecy that's coming to Israel. That God will make the desert bloom. And he'll do it in your life. It won't be by you or me and our skill and ability. It will be by his presence and us abiding in him and him making us fruitful. Number three, just taking these things and applying them. Live life and bear witness to the honor and glory of God. So I would say live life and do it so that you might bear witness to the honor and the glory of God. You never have a greater audience than when you're enduring trials. There's more people watching you in the midst of a diagnosis that's not good or a business that's faltering or a job that's shaky. There's more people watching you in the midst of difficulty than any other time in your life. And here's what they're wanting to know. Is what you say about God evident as true? Bear witness of God. You can be solid and steady in your faith because God's presence is with you. You are abiding in him and you're wanting the world to see that God is real and he makes a great impact in your daily life. And that, my friends, will bring honor to Jesus, glory to his name, and a rich reward for us for all eternity. Let it be so. Father, we thank you for your word and for the promise that you have given in it. We thank you for the hope that we find in it. We thank you for sort of the, uh, the life rope, if you will, that we could cling to and be pulled along as we face difficulty. I pray for the ones in this room who are struggling even now. Maybe there's a lot of questions, a lot of doubt, a lot of concern, a lot of wondering, a lot of future issues that are now in question god i pray that today would be a day to stand solidly in faith steadfast unmovable with great patience because your presence is with us we abide in you and you in us connected to christ and living unto his witness